Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 39. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, not alone tonight, Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. Well, I wasn't alone last week. From the woods of Maine, we had Adam Wallace on, and from everything that I've heard, or from everything that people have told me, they love the episode. Yeah, I was... Uh, telling you and Adam just before we we got on this call that according to Stitcher, which is a lot of European and Japanese listeners, as far as I can tell, it was our most popular episode ever. It seems like they really love the uh, the the deck info, the deep dives, I guess you called it. And yeah, Adam's super knowledgeable about elves, like we've always said. And we're just happy we got him before leaving a legacy. To be honest, that was a big goal of ours, and we're glad we can make it happen. Yeah, well, technically we didn't, but we were lucky enough to make sure that we got the first full audio capture so we could release it. If you haven't listened to Leaving a Legacy, we got a very nice shout out from Connor Fulce, the Agrolome player, who we talked about on the cast a little while ago that had the Queen Marchesa in their deck. And they gave us a shout out. That was that was outstanding. And also I want to thank Robert Wilson. He signed up for our Patreon a little while ago, but I think that I forgot to to give him props on the cast. So he's super active in Discord. Thank you for coming aboard. Bro, Alyssa's going to be so mad at you that you mispronounced Marqueso again. Oh, fuck, whatever. <laughs> okay. So I, I get the Connors confused, I think, because there's a couple uh, people named Connor on Twitter, but uh, the dude who recorded with LAL, is that the guy who was talking about starting the non-blue podcast? Yes. It is. Okay, sweet. I got like a one-third of the way through the LAL. I haven't finished it yet, so. Okay. That's uh, that's super cool. I look forward to seeing that. Like I said uh, earlier, I think we talked about it, that I think that there's like a huge demand for that because a lot of the people who end up podcasting are passionate about Legacy, and a lot of people who are passionate about Legacy are passionate about Brainstorm. But there's a huge, you know, part of the community that just won't play Brainstorm or, or is either in love with their deck or strategy or just you know just against brainstorm doesn't want don't want to play with brainstorm so i think that that podcast would be pretty successful awesome yeah there are three things for certain in life and it's death and taxes and people playing brainstorm and legacy i don't want to jump the gun too much of what we're going to be talking about tonight but whoo death and taxes with a comeback weekend oh you're trying to lead in right there I was trying to. I don't know if I did a good enough job. Oh, man. Do you, do you still have uh, Florida stuff to talk about from your little rest and recharged vacation? Dude, it was it was really nice to get down there to Florida. Uh, I wasn't really looking forward to it as we talked about, but you know, I got to see my family, like my based family down in Florida. They're, they're always cool to hang out with. And uh, Naples, Fort Myers, West Palm, Miami. Miami kind of sucked, but the other parts were all great. And I had some time on Saturday to check out stores because Courtney was, uh, there was like a conference down there and she had like a presentation to give on Saturday. And it would have been $500 for me to attend. So I skipped it for a 10 minute talk or whatever. And I had the rental car. So I was like, oh, Cool Stuff Inc., right? That's a big store. You see them like vending at GPs. Like, they sponsor some podcasts. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to go in the store and check it out. It's going to be cool, right? Like, I went to Mox Boarding House out in Seattle. 
like I, I like to go to like these big magic stores, you know. Cool stuff, Inc. Not a single card, not a single magic card on display. No binders, no bulk bins to look through. Nothing, man. There was just three computer terminals, and you could look up cards there. But if there was a, a discrepancy in price, they actually didn't honor the website price. So they're like, "Oh, I'll just order it off the website." So I was like, "There's, there's literally nothing for me to do at this store. Like, why does this even exist?" Maybe they have their tournaments there. Yeah, it was. That, that's all it was, really. I mean, I guess that makes sense for an online vendor. You don't want to have to split your inventory between a card case in the store and what you have online. Yeah. Uh, they, I think they just do most of their business selling cards online, so it kind of makes sense, but it's yeah. unfortunate you didn't get to see a great great game store. Exactly, man. And I went to a couple other stores around there, and it seems like uh, they just, in Florida, they really, uh, or at least the places I was, they really don't play a lot of Legacy, man. They were like uh, just showing me binders with modern cards in them. So it was fine, you know. But it was a little disappointing. I was hoping to find like a little, uh, little legacy action. I bring my deck with me everywhere, so. You didn't get the gym at all. Did not. But I watched a lot of a lot of the basketball tournament, so that was awesome. So as far as like housekeeping stuff for this uh, intro, the last thing I have is uh, Jack's Abbey. Do you know about this place? It's like a brewery, I guess. Yeah, it's in Massachusetts. It is, yeah. We're having like an old school thing there this weekend, and it's a brewery, so I figured you might know something about it. Yeah, I mean, it is it is definitely solid. I've had a few of their beers. It's a nice... I've never been there, but I'm sure it's a nice place. Did you do anything for St. Patrick's Day? Uh, I stayed in I stayed in my house with my kid. My brother FaceTimed me from his apartment in Southie. He had a blast, <laughs> uh, but that, that was not that was not me. I was traveling most of the day and didn't I didn't drink at all, I'm pretty sure, on St. Patrick's Day. So right now, I'm up to my old bullshit. I got a pint of Jameson and uh, made a coffee before, so I have like two shots of Jameson in my Irish coffee, and I took a big swig before we started, so I'm celebrating. Good for you. Yeah, man. Yeah, I have, I have nothing in my house, otherwise I would be joining you. Dude, what is this? Is this sober March or something? You're, you're uh, no, it's not. It's, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm just. I have just so much shit to do that uh, I haven't had time to drink. Dude, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on with you? you? You've mentioned a couple times now being busy. Is it just school? School, work. I guess they're different things because I'm going to school too. Uh, trying to get house stuff set ah. and the kid and just everything. Like I have no no free time. I get to do this and edit, and that's it. Damn, dude. Well, yeah, no free time. I can uh, I can relate to that, even though I just got back from vacation. Because I did not have enough points to play in this uh, Legacy Quarterly that we had this past weekend. That's a segue for listeners. There we go. I, I didn't either. I got, I got one challenge that I played in, and I think I played three leagues. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, well, obviously my, you know, my dog, that stuff went on and I wasn't really feeling it for a little bit, uh, back in January. And then the past three weeks, since I've been cognizant of needing to get my last like 15 points or whatever, I've played exactly three leagues. So really didn't make a good effort, but we had a lot of, a lot of, uh, former guests who did really well. 
yeah, Lawrence finished six and two. Adam finished six and two, and actually six and two was a record that made top eight, but they missed out on breakers. I think they both missed out on top sixteen as well. And then Rich and Tom were both five and three. Yeah, Lawrence really got job because he started out four up and wound up at like the bottom quarter of the six twos. It's just unfortunate. Yep. That, I mean that's that's exactly how everything goes. But I the, guess um, Yeah, good. Oh, I mean, the top eight was crazy. We saw Strifo win it with the punishing Dak deck that you see show up, which is like Grixis with a few green cards splashing the punishing fire Grove combo along with like triple Dak Faden. And every time I've seen that deck, I've been like, what, what is this dude doing? But he stuck with it and won probably the most competitive legacy tournament that I have ever seen. Yeah, I was going to ask your opinion on this because I was trying to figure this out yesterday. Like, what do you even compare it to, right? Like, maybe a GP top eight or something like that in terms but of... But it's not, it's not like a top eight. It's it's 200 people. 200 people who are all, like... Oh, was it that really many? Really good. I thought it was, like, 130 or something. I thought it was 160. Oh, okay. Probably. I was round. I was rounding up. Gotcha. So, yeah, everybody who's in that tournament has won a minimum of, like, you know, 40, but probably more like 100 or more matches of Legacy to, to get the points to be there, you know, just statistically speaking. You have to have played a ton of Legacy over the last three months, done reasonably well, and, yeah, it, it's just it's a murderer's row. Like, a lot of people... S- compare leagues to grand prix day twos and sometimes that's not true sometimes it is or like the the regular sunday challenge i think is probably a better comparison to a day two but this tournament it's got to be higher than that you know yeah i i definitely don't think leagues are day two of a legacy gp the like later rounds in the challenges probably get closer to it but, I don't, but, I don't yeah. know, man. I was trying to figure this out. Like, obviously, you can get way worse players in a league than a Grand Prix Day 2. But also, like, I've I've Day 2 Grand Prix where I've never played the format before. Like, one time was Modern Infect, and one time was a standard format I'd never played. And I think you've probably been there, too, with standard and stuff. Like, there's some people who sneak into Grand Prix Day 2s that have no business being there. But this tournament... Everybody had business being there, you know? So it's pretty wild, and it's awesome to see our former guests, the people that we've selected as our favorites in the community, doing well. I agree with that. I think the big story of this weekend, we're going to talk about the Star City and everything too, is Death and Taxes coming back hard. And I think one of the reasons why is the decks sort of had a big target on their heads coming into the weekend. You saw a lot of people talking about depths. You saw a lot of people talking about trying to attack the Delver variants that were coming up that were no longer Grixis. Talking about just either blue-white or blue-red. Blue-red being the more popular one. And Death in Texas was off the radar for such a long time that if you want to attack those decks, that's a, that's a nightmare matchup for those those two decks to face. Yeah, exactly. So... Our listener, honorary Dead Format member, uh, T-Bag Tom, Tom Cairns, he was messaging me on Saturday night 
about the bug deck. And I actually decided to run a league because he's been like throwing lists at me for a while and I, I haven't really been playing any bug online. So I've just been sort of theory crafting with him and telling him what I think of his list. But I was like, oh, let me run a list and see what actually works, you know, what, what I like about this deck. And, you know, he's sort of in like his own space brewing this deck. And looking at the meta that I expected for this tournament, I told him that the two decks I would be most concerned with would be Death and Taxes and like Storm variants, right? And it seemed like uh, half that prophecy came true. Like Death and Taxes obviously cleaned up, did really well. But the Storm variants seemed to underperform. We, we don't really have like the list though. Yeah, but I think I think one of the reasons why we saw Storm underperform online but still do still do quite well in paper is that the online representation of Storm is significantly higher than the paper representation of Storm from my just from observation. And you you're not really going to register a deck without a plan for storm if you're if you're going online and playing in a tournament right especially a tournament like this that you know all of the storm pilots are going to show up for that's a good point that's a that's actually a very good point you know there's going to be like five killers at least out of 150 or whatever so i think storm given its performance last weekend definitely had a target on its head i mean you're seeing main deck fluster storms you're you're seeing much rougher field online for that deck so if you were queued up to play in this tournament what would you have played i probably would have played blue white delver the same list that i've been playing i know that m <laughs> we can we never know this dude's name i know because japanese i just found his blog and the auto translate function in chrome is just the the best thing is there a picture of nib magus elemental on it there, oh, there is. You don't have to translate that from Japanese. <laughs> so, MW94GA, uh, I know placed well in this tournament, and I'm assuming that they were playing the Blue White Niv Magus deck that they have been playing for a while because they 5 0 a league with it this week, and I'm just assuming that they, they kept that going because they've been on it for a little bit more than a month. Yeah, it's true. I think the first time we really saw Niv Magus pop up was that player, right? It was, and it was that player, that player, that player, like three weeks in a row, <laughs> and then they, they either won a challenge or finished second with it, and then other people started to pick it up. And it's the same kind of thing, right, with Strafo. You mentioned earlier, like, you see this deck pop up, like the Punishing Dak deck, and I feel like we saw it pop up more when Deathrite was legal. Like, there were a lot of people that would try it out, but really, I feel like he's been carrying the torch alone. Like, I don't think I've played against anybody else playing any other decks, or any other Dak punishing Grixis deck other than Strifo since the ban, right? Yeah, no, it's just him. And, I mean, when I was flipping through Twitch channels trying to watch Legacy and he would be playing that deck, I'd tune in and watch the stream and I'd just be like, man, like, what, what is going on with this pile of cards? But obviously he has the plan... And I think it's just going to take a while for other people to figure that out. You get a lot of bonus points going into an event when you're playing something like that that people don't have the reps against. Because that deck plays quite different from any of the other decks in Legacy. 
Well, it's a double-edged sword, though, right? Because anybody playing him is going to know what he's playing before the, the match starts. So it's kind of like, it's good and bad, right? Okay. I mean, if if there's somebody who's, like, super tuned into Twitch, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't automatically assume that they were playing that deck in a big tournament like this. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I just associate that name with that deck always, but... I gotta up my Twitch game, I guess, because I didn't actually know that he streamed until today, uh, when I saw his his winning post or whatever. Yep, that's uh, that's cool, man. I gotta check out his stream. Yeah, I've been I I haven't had a ton of time to play lately, but and when I've been just doing chores around the house, I've had some time to put on Twitch. So I try to tune in to watch as, as much Legacy as I can. Did anybody stream the the quarterly? I think Anurag did. Oh, nice. Or I think that he said that he was going to. So I'm unsure if that he actually followed through with that, but I know that he was planning on it. I saw today that Bryant had released like a, a post, like a produced video, like a, after the tournament was over. It is pretty high equity, right? Because you get invited into the uh, the big playoff tournament. So... It's pretty much like the most worried you could ever be about stream sniping and legacy, right? Yeah, and I mean like obviously you're giving up some equity when you stream. So if you have the ability to record your videos after and to put them out, it probably makes sense to do that. But if you are a streamer and you're going to use the tournament as a stage to get more viewers, then you just have to deal with that. Yeah, I wonder how many viewers people got streaming that. I bet it was a bunch. I uh, I actually had the fortune to play against Strifo a few hours before the tournament started when I was just running that league late Saturday night. Yep. And uh, he had in his deck at that point, like, main deck Nile Spellbomb. Yeah, he still had it. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I have the list here. He played three Snapcaster, four Strix, a Leovold, a Spellbomb, a Liliana of the Veil, three Dak Faden three Jace, sorry, two Jace, four Brainstorm, a single copy of Fatal Push, four Ponder, two Thought Season Inquisition and Edict, three Punishing Fire, a Decay, a Trophy, a K Command, a Deluge, four Force of Will, and then his Mana Base. Yeah, that's that's so that sick. That one Spellbomb was main deck, and he had another in the sideboard. Spellbomb's just been so fantastic for me. Like I'm playing two in my sideboard right now with Esper, and I played two. I played two again in the sideboard with a bug deck, and I can totally understand why you'd want that main right now. And I think that that's a great call. Yeah, I mean it's value. Like it, it costs you tempo, but it doesn't cost you a card. And if the blue red decks are playing Terramander, you can sort of make up for the lack of tempo against the Delver deck by weakening their terramanders yeah for sure i mean it's it's very low cost you know i mean you can usually find a spot to to get away with using the mana if it's not like extremely impactful in the game and if it is extremely impactful in the game it's just it's just gravy right yep especially having a main deck there there's a ton of equity for having a card like that where your opponents that are on graveyard strategies or even just synergies that use the graveyard aren't ready to fight through a card like that in a game one so nobody nobody has it on their radar yeah i was always impressed with like the uh what are they called not food chain uh 
Yeah, sorry, food chain decks. When they have the Relic of Progenitus, like, in the main deck, they get to play, like, two of them because it can... It just resets all their cards that they want to go to the Exile Zone instead of their graveyard. Exactly. They can get their Mist Hollows that got killed into Exile again. So they just want to be playing the card. You know, it's it's very low cost for them to play it. And it has that incidental splash hate. And I feel like that's always like a really underrated part of that deck. Like second to manipulate fate, I thought that that was like the second coolest thing about that deck. So it's really cool to see people incorporating Spellbomb too. I like that. So yeah, we don't have like the the deck list yet, unfortunately. I guess uh, Bob and or Callum were assembling like a uh, document with a uh, like everybody's lists or, or what everybody was playing, I guess, everybody's archetypes. And Watsy, I don't know how many lists that they're going to release, whether it's like the whole 64 that got paid or the top 32, like a challenge or what, but we don't have any lists right now. So what we know of the top eight for sure was Strifo, Trinity Tell, Death and Taxes, Maverick, Grixis Delver with Bobs, uh, the, Hep De- the Tom Hep, depths deck and i believe that's all the ones that i know it was definitely a very interesting top eight yeah we and we sort of know what the general meta was like because callum put together the information that he knew and saw that the top decks that people brought so it was uh, 11 ant decks 11 Miracles decks, 10 Blue-White Blade decks, and 8 Death and Taxes decks were the top four. So if that if that gives you any insight into, into what was going on in the field, it was that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I didn't realize that that was, uh, that was tallied and everything. So that's, that's honestly about what I expected, like this, this resurgence of Death and Taxes. Like you see the Delver decks right now, the dominant Delver decks... In, in everybody's mind, I think, are, are blue-red first and blue-white second. And if you notice, with those two colors, there's no zealous persecution, you know? There's no, like, uh, like the best sideboard cards to fight against Death and Taxes, in my opinion, for Delver decks, are the black cards. And blue-white, blue-red, you don't have the black cards anymore. That's absolutely right. Plus, like, the blue red decks are really super mana tight and i know that they're playing basic so they're a little bit less less harmed by wastelands but thalia does a number on that deck dude and also port so this is kind of what i was thinking like how i got to death and taxes is if everybody's fetching up basics like that's great against wasteland but that's actually worse against port you know and you can put people in that in that vice where they're damned if they do damned if they don't when you're playing death and taxes especially with no taxing probe anymore people don't know what you have you can play around wastelands and end up getting fucked by port or vice versa oh that's absolutely true and so, I, I mean obviously there's a lot to want, like about you, it yeah you want to have your lands in play but it, it's much harder for your opponent to start locking down multiple lands with port than it is to just get like double wastelanded out of the game so generally, it's correct to play around the wasteland, but you you can sort of get pinched off of a color by port. Yeah, for sure. And if you fetch up two islands and mountain, and you're stuck holding like two forked bulls that you sideboarded in against them, and they're tapping down your mountain in your upkeep, 
it's painful, you know, and we've all been there for sure. 100%. I can't wait for the, for the actual deck list to come up so we can talk about it a little more. Hopefully we can get on that for next week, but just the resurgence of death and taxes in my mind was the big story of the week. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, there was the SCG Cincinnati was like a team open. Yep, I got I got to watch a bunch of the coverage for that. Oh, nice. Was it Jerry and uh, Brian? It was alternating between Jerry and Brian and Matthias, uh, Matthias and um, and Emma. Nice. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Did uh, did you see uh, Ethan Gajewski playing Death and Taxes by any chance? I did. He top aided. He was your Maverick opponent from last week. Yep. Yep. Um he plays a ton of magic online. He is very good. And he and Ben Rubin were both in the top eight of the team event with Death and Taxes. And that's one of the other reasons why I really wanted to talk about it this week. If you look at the team open, and I know it's a team open, but if you look at the top sixteen, there's four death and taxes decks on the teams. I think it was like two in top eight and then number nine and then number eleven. Exactly. So the 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 deck is very well positioned right now to fight against what people are bringing. And obviously next week can change. We have Niagara in a few weeks. Man, I can't wait to play. But everything that's happening right now could sort of be overthrown or sort of churned up by the time Niagara happens. So we see Grixis Control and Death and Taxes starting to push back this week. And next week, it, it could be could be anybody's game. So what do you think about Maverick? Just like with what you're saying right now, do you think that the next jump that, that people will make is, is to like uh, incorporating other colors like a Maverick or something? I don't, I don't think so. No. I think the Death and Taxes just does everything cleaner. I know Knight of the Reliquary is good. Death and Taxes is better positioned to fight against True New Nemesis than Maverick is. Yeah, that's probably true. Given the sort of fire and ice, and given the access to multiple councils judgments, I don't, I don't know if I would want to bring. If I would want to bring Maverick, but I'm I'm just like a pretty anti-Maverick person. Usually, <laughs> if one of those types of decks is good, it's just, it's better to be doing something else. Yeah, the two decks that my mind jumped to when I saw this next evolution of the meta were Agrolome and Maverick as potential predators for those decks. But, you know, it remains to be seen, like, how many people are going to shift their decks based on these results. And, you know, I I'm not even really sure because Death and Taxes, it's kind of solidified, I'd say. Like, I, I, I know what to expect, at least, like, 50, 58 of the 60 cards in their deck, typically. And even post-board, you usually know what you're going to see. Sometimes they get tricky inside in some chalices or something. But Yeah, I think that given the results of this week, if I was playing against a Death of Taxes opponent, I would assume that they're bringing in two chalices if it's good in the matchup. I think that's sort of become standardized given, given Ruben's list coming out. Oh, really? I, see, I hadn't looked at the list actually for that event. But I've definitely been seeing chalices come in a lot online, so... That, that is yep. Was he playing Ancient Tomb too? Uh, well, I think the one of Ancient Tomb in the main deck along with the Double Chalice in the sideboard. Yeah. So I generally, when a deck like that performs well with a solid pilot, 
the next few weeks, the people who are picking up the deck just go directly to that list. Absolutely, yeah. And I do think that's good for what it's worth. You know, like I think that the not leaning heavily on Chalice, but just having access to it, it seems great. You know, it seems like an extremely impactful sideboard card that, like, why wouldn't you bring it in? Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's kind of weird. We don't have the list, so we can't really dive in on this challenge, or this uh, quarterly, I should say. Wait, have I been calling this player Ben Rubin the whole time? You called him Ben Rubin once, yeah. Okay, it's Steve Rubin. Is Ben Rubin a magic player? Yeah. It's a different magic player, though, isn't it? Obviously. I mean, I I didn't realize it was Steve Rubin. So Steve Rubin's grinding SCGs? I mean, it's a team event. If I recall correctly, because uh steve rubin he comes to a lot of like the local events like grand prix and stuff and i played against him a couple times so i follow him on twitter and he's a very nice dude i I like steve rubin a lot but uh i think he went from like platinum to falling like down to uh down to maybe silver or something along those lines and missed like the mpl cutoff Uh, okay after being like platinum for three years in a row and I think he had tweeted something about like trying to make a bunch of Star Cities this season. So that's that's pretty cool to see that happening. Yep, he is definitely making it happen. And doing well, obviously. He's a great player, so it's not surprising to see him do well. But he is the kind of player who has access to all the cards. Like, It's always tricky when you're looking at the Legacy meta to say, like, oh, this player picked this deck because it's good versus just that's the deck that that player plays and they're going to play it no matter whether it's good or not, right? Because that's like a large percentage, especially in paper, of the of the legacy player base, right? I agree. But somebody like Ruben, they're, they're going to have access to the cards, so they're, they're truly picking what they think is the best deck for that weekend. Yeah, and it, another commonality between the Death and Taxes decks that you're seeing are multiple palace jailers, either multiple jailers in the main deck or access to at least one in the main deck and one on the sideboard i think ethan was playing two in the main deck and steve had a one one split both of them actually playing karn really in the main deck no in the sideboard okay a one of uh karn sign of urza yeah i have seen that a fair amount i hadn't seen any in the main yet but that that's pretty cool I think that uh, he had Palace Jailer in the main of Maverick, too, at the the Syracuse Open when I played against him. It It is an absolutely outstanding card. Dude, it really and is. The and, Monarch. The Monarch is a stupid ability. And this is something that, like, I've just been thinking about with regards to this quarterly, and I mentioned to you right before we started casting, but, like, all these iterations in the meta, like, we're seeing, like, Palace Jailer being incorporated steadily by... Blue White, Death and Taxes, Maverick, right? It's really being recognized for its power now. And these evolutions with like Blue White Delver and Blue Red Delver and stuff, all these shifts in the meta, they're not really being spurned by like new printings, right? Like since we since we had the ban of Death Right, there have been cards that have been printed. And I think the the most impactful cards that I can think of are Light Up the Stage as like a kind of like a ancestral, uh, oh, sorry, accumulated knowledge for, for tempo decks, right? Like just a little bit of a boost, like a little divination effect. Not like hugely altering like any deck's game plans or anything, but also uh, Terramander 
which kind of lets you stay in two colors by, you know, being like a reasonable threat for a tempo deck to play that you don't have to reach into black for or reach into some other color for. But then other than that, there's only cards like uh, Crater Maker, Knight of Autumn, Cinder Vines. Like these cards like show up as one or two ofs a lot of times in the sideboards. And they're nice cards, you know, they're little role players, but they're not like impacting how good a deck is, right? They're not the draw to playing a certain deck. So really this meta has been shifting. We had like the, the Pro Tour, right? The Team Pro Tour uh, back in August or whatever that was. We've had Grand Prix, we've had SCGs. Obviously, this Legacy Quarterly deserves a lot of attention because a lot of good players are playing in it, but there were a lot of questions when the bans happened, like how good is Storm without Taxi and Pro, right? How good is, is a Grixis deck playable without Death Rider? Like, whether it's Grixis Delver, you know, what is their threat base look like? Grixis Control, is that mana base still work without Death Rider? You know, all these questions that we had to answer. Like, what's the threat for blue-black Delver? Is it Death Shadow? Is it going to go bigger and play, like, True Names? But this meta is really, like, just evolving on its own. And I feel like that really speaks to the quality of Legacy, the quality of the threats and answers, just the balance in the format right now. Because it felt like Chalice was getting a little troublesome for a minute, and now it really feels like it's backed off a lot. And it's really just like the meta adjusting to itself over and over. And I think it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, when you have a card pool that is as big as Legacy, and when there isn't a default the best deck, you're going to see things like this happen. Like, we're seeing huge waves with mana-based construction and what decks are playable or give you the best chance of winning regarding stuff like not just wasteland but back to basics and blood moon we're seeing people reacting to chalice trying to just not be dead to it um making sure that they are resilient enough to be able to beat chalice based decks we're seeing stoneforge mystic make a comeback from where wherever it was in exile and really really start to be be a spot that a lot of people are going to be turning to knock off. So I, I'm not sure what's going to happen when Grixis control pushes this way back. Does it get sort of held down by blood moon variants is back to basics to backbreaking of a card, even though they have access to three, three basics in their deck. I, I don't know how things are going to play out. Yeah, it's really interesting, man. There's so many moving pieces and I feel like if, if legacy were to have, you know, more big events, like, let's say that there's, like, one SCG or GP or whatever big event a month, like, how much would this format be turning over, and when would it ever stop, you know? I'm not convinced that there's a logical endpoint for this format. Like, just based on all the the work that I've done the past six months and, you know, talking to other people whose opinions I, I respect about it, I guess it's more like eight months at this point, right? But I just, I feel like it's, it's so beautifully balanced right now that you, you can attack everything and everything's just going to come full circle eventually. And there really is no best deck or best way to build a certain list. It's all dependent on what you expect to see. Yeah, and Legacy is so wide that 
even if there's a deck that is 10, 12% of the meta, you, it's not, it's not worth metagaming specifically for that deck. You're sort of, you sort of want to gauge what's going on in the format broadly. So you are prepared for everything, but it's not, it's not a format where you really just put a target on a deck and it gets knocked down. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this Phoenix thing, like the the Phoenix decks that were being built, like the the blue red Phoenix decks were the first I saw. Then the Grixis Phoenix deck with Buried Alive, and then like the Land Grant Phoenix deck, and now there's like the Storm Phoenix deck, right? That are all you you always see them in the five O. Somebody's always playing them. They're they were in like the the top sixty four at least, probably top thirty two of the Star City in Syracuse. And like, how good are they? Like, who who can really answer that question, right? Like, I don't think that anybody's stumbled on like the perfect build or anything like that. And whether they're better than Control, you know, Grixis Control, or better than Grixis Delver or not, you know, it really depends on the pilot and how they feel about the metagame on a given week. And I feel like they're all viable. Yeah, and Phoenix is still in a spot right now where there are so many builds to it that people don't have enough experience playing against it. So anytime a deck like that starts to emerge, you can gain a lot of equity by being the one person that puts the time in with that deck. So I I don't have enough experience playing against it to be able to tell you where it sort of falls in that. But I, I think that we all can can sort of see that Grixis Delver got knocked down quite a bit. And even though it put one pilot into the top eight of this recent online legacy event, we're not seeing a ton of it in paper. I think the most interesting innovation that I saw this weekend was uh, Clay Spicklemeyer, the Grand Prix Columbus champion, had a Grixis kind of deck that was Blue-Red Delver main deck with one Underground Sea, and the only black cards in the sideboard other than Surgical were two Bitter Blossoms. So it was a way to hedge against the control decks to be able... Uh, control decks in depths, probably, to have a card like Bitter Blossom that you could bring in. Yeah, that's pretty wild. And I have actually seen a little bit of that online, too. It might have been playing against him, actually. But there was uh, another deck... That was in the Classic, right? Yes. There was another deck in the Classic, uh, Grixis Delver deck, that made top eight. I think it was like fifth place. That was like the old Grixis Delver build, like the the one from like a few months ago, where, you know, there's there's no no like uh, Terramander and no Bob, none of that shenanigans going on. It was just like, you know, the, the build from the Pro Tour, I, I should say, I guess, going back that far. And really, like, what's the best Grixis Delver deck? Like, who can answer that question right now, you know? It, it's it's really cool, and it might just be, like, the lack of the hyper-focus of having, like, a Star City open every weekend like we had a couple years ago, where pe people start to, like, settle on lists. But you're really not seeing that right now, and I just can't speak enough to how cool that is, in my opinion. I completely agree. There was a, another deck that was basically just blue red delver splashing for three bobs that i saw that was like the only black card in the main deck 
and it was off of uh, two underground seas. So okay, it's it's just really cool to see this happening. Yeah, I mean the obviously you can play a three color mana base, but I think people are starting to realize given the amount of sort of mana disruption in the format that they don't want to be heavily into three colors. And I think Grixis Control is the one exception to that. And it's still sort of uh, to be seen whether or not that deck makes a makes a pushback to the to where it used to be. I've I've heard a lot of people talking about how him is a card they're actually cutting, how it hasn't been performing as well as it sort of used to be, and it, it seems like in certain matchups that him just isn't as impactful anymore. So Grixis is playing a little bit more removal and some extra cantrips to make up for the fact that they are losing that card advantage uh, engine. Yeah, and it's awkward, too, with fetching when you have to be so cognizant of back-to-basics and playing around Wasteland when you don't have Deathrite Shaman anymore, you know? Being able to get that double black early on or, or reliably, on even on turn three, to have it reliably is, is a liability, you know? In, in some ways, Kolagon's Command is a lot easier to cast than him. Yeah, that is a true story. Baleful Strix does seem really good right now, though. Yeah, Baleful Strix is the shit, man. That league that I played with Bug, I put in a, a whole bunch of strange cards, kind of, I would say, just to see how good they were. Like, I played uh, two Bobs, two Surges, a Sylvan Library, and a Corsair Crucifix, just to, just to fucking see, you know? And I ended up actually 4-1-ing with it, uh, just randomly, because the cards weren't very good, and the deck wasn't, wasn't built properly, really. But just like the the power of Baleful Strix, man. It's just such a phenomenal card. So there was this deck in the deck dump that we've kind of been skimping, honestly, man. Like, we made this this plan to, like, to highlight a deck each from the deck dump. And we were doing pretty good for a while. But I feel like we kind of got, got off our path, right? Like, we strayed from the light a bit. You had enough time over vacation to dig up a list. Yeah, man. I, w- I want to get back to this tradition. So this deck from the deck dump, something that something that I've talked a ton about since uh, we started this podcast is black white like Pakula decks, right? Yes. This deck, Ultimar put up a five zero with this deck. Have you seen this deck yet? Did you look at it? So I did, and I saw that the 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 only like blue interaction was days and i was like hmm that's strange and you have this one big gigantic statement in capital letters that i didn't notice when i saw this list no brainstorm i automatically assumed that brainstorm was there because it was playing bob and strix and stoneforge and true name and thief I assumed that it was going to have a brainstorm. Not the case. So it does have in the sideboard for interaction two spell pierce, two fluster storm, and three force of well. So it can sideboard into that interaction, but in the main deck, it's just days, man. Which is pretty wild, right? So as I'm trying to like figure out what this deck is, I see no brainstorm and I see Aether Vial, so I'm like, okay. This has to be a Thalia deck, you know? Like, you've seen these pop up once in a while. A lot of times it's, like, in, like, a Spirits sort of shell. 
where they'll play like 20, 22 creatures with Aether Vial, and their only blue spells will be like, you know, Force of Will or something. And they'll have like Swords of Plowshares and really just go light on the spells and play Thalias. But there's no Thalias in the 75 either. So I'm, I'm really curious what this person's goal was when they put this deck together, right? To be playing Aether Vials with only 18 creatures, and they're all great creatures, right? But they're all twos and threes. And then to have three Liliana of the Veil, but I don't really see any synergy necessarily with Liliana of the Veil. Like, you have Dark Confidant to, you know, keep drawing cards for you, and you have Aether Vial to, like, ramp your hand out quickly. But to, to make a statement like three Liliana of the Veil, you expect to see stuff like, you know, Lingering Souls or, or Gurmag Angler even, or like something to take advantage of, you know, break the symmetry of Liliana, right? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with this list. It, it's super interesting, man. And the other thing about it is like as far as turn one plays, you've got Aether Vials. You've got four of them. And you have four plows to respond if your opponent's playing a creature. But there's no like pierce or fluster in the main deck or spot discard. There's just four hymns. There's no thought seizes or inquisitions or anything like that. So looking at this deck though, I feel like there's a lot there to to sort of think about, right? So the, the first place that my mind went, I've been thinking a lot about the card creeping tar pit lately playing bug and esper like you want a threat like that but in my opinion in those decks you just can't take a land drop off like it's just way too punishing right now to play a land that's so vulnerable to wasteland and back to basics like it's it's way worse than underground sea even in those situations and on you know turn one you need to have interaction up on turn two you need to hit your two drop or even like if it's the right matchup to play your two drop on turn three with like a spell pierce back, you know, like having interaction up. I feel like I'm using every one of my mana every single turn playing Esper or Bug. And it's just more important than ever. And there's no way I could justify playing a Creeping Tar Pit. However, in this deck, when you have Aether Vials, I feel like you might be able to sneak something like that in. And if you're going that direction, you could kind of get standstill in there too. So it'd be like this this deck with all the efficient Esper creatures like Strix, Dark Confidant, uh, Stoneforge Mystic, right? Aether Vial. All these cards that really play well with Standstill. Like, I feel like this could be a Standstill deck. I feel like, as I mentioned earlier, this could be a Thalia deck, you know, with, with just a little bit of reworking. But I really feel like that there's a lot to like here. And I think that my next few leagues, I'm going to be going this direction. So I am on the exact opposite <laughs> side of the fence as you are when you said that you saw a lot of good things to work with here. I think that this deck is just a mess, <laughs> like an absolute disaster that I don't, I don't even want to think about. I mean, I'll be honest, man. It's, it's like what you find at, at a, you know, you're at a tag sale and you're not even sure if it's for sale, but there's like a tarp with some leaves and water on it, you know, covering up some, some sort of chest looking thing. And then you walk over and you're like, wait, is that, is that a card catalog? Is that for sale? You know? And you have to do like a restoration on it. 
Like it, it's it's an old nineteen fifties card catalog. It's like just the one you've been looking for, but it needs some love, man. It's been under that tarp for years. Are are you in the market for a card catalog Dude, from an old library? Yes, I've been looking all over for this motherfucking thing. You don't have one, do you? Oh, you're a teacher. No, of course dude. I don't. Yeah, I'm a teacher. I started teaching 15 years ago. Listeners, if you know of anywhere with a card catalog, we're going to like Ocean's 11 it. We will break in and steal it for Ian. Get at, <laughs> get at us. But our buddy Charlie has one. His mom got it for him because she was sick of looking at his magic cards. And like it's, it's like the most beautiful piece of furniture in their finished basement. And it has his whole magic collection in it. But it's not like bad to look at, you know? And it's like a super a convenient way to organize the cards, right? Like he just has like one long sleeve of legacy cards and one long sleeve of modern cards and one long sleeve of whatever, you know? Like it's it's really the perfect way to organize a magic collection and it's a great way to not get your wife pissed at you for having a mess. You can buy one online. For, okay, there's two problems with that. First of all, they're all over $300, right? There is one on Amazon for $208. Okay, that's the best price I've seen yet. But the other thing that I didn't like about the ones I'd seen online, besides them being upwards of 300 were... They don't have that weathered, authentic look that you need for your old school cards to go into? Precisely. They please, were don't, like, please don't say that's it. Oh, no, that's exactly it. They were like, they were very like paint by number industrial looking ones. I want like the hardy weathered. This was actually in a fucking library that, you know, kids just don't use anymore. I want the authentic card catalog from my With like the pen marks from the elementary school kids that wrote all over it. Dude, how fucking stupid is the Dewey Decimal System, by the way? Do you remember that shit? I remember that shit. People went to college for that shit. No, Wait. I'm like I'm not even I'm not even kidding. That's a they they library science. Yeah, and they would talk about like the subject of the book and they're like, "Oh, you know, we would take these tests in library class or whatever. Like, what's yep. what's the subject of this book?" And it's like, "Well, that's that's subjective, you know? Like, how am I supposed to know the subject of this book? Like, maybe it's birds, you know, maybe it's like it, the subject isn't necessarily evident, right? Especially when you're talking about fiction, but I don't know, man. I, I always had some serious issues with the Dewey Decimal System. It was a shit system as far as I was concerned. But Well, to tie it back to this deck, I think this deck is like the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <laughs> I think this deck has a lot of promise, and I'm going to be fucking with this for sure, man. I think that uh, a, lot of, a lot of what I'm trying to accomplish with Esper, I feel like this might actually be a better way to do it it just needs a lot of love so why not why not throw mother of runes in there if you're gonna go go all out no okay have, oh, sorry have mother mother of runes thalia bob strick stoneforge true name thief you can mother of runes to protect your thief of sanity and you can get your brainstorms from your opponent you can mother of runes to protect your true name man that's a combo not really listeners but i that yeah i i got that one thing that i like about this too and one thing that i've liked about playing like uh esper and bug recently is i've been stuck on like one main deck engineer explosives because 
it's an it's an out to chalice it really messes with like decks like aggro loam and stuff where they have chalice and mox diamond like it can just be so punishing there it's a quote-unquote removal spell that actually has legs against the storm decks but when you're all in twos and threes with your creature base you don't have any ones so you can sweep up these decks like death and taxes humans slivers goblins like these decks that you see show up online you don't have to worry about ones like blowing up ones with your your engineering explosives like your own ones you don't have any so i i'm just so in on engineering explosives right now and i feel like this this shell could also it, i mean it's unfortunate your vials would get swept up in that if you have a vial out but that's another part that I really like about this. Yeah, I just I think I think if I was going to play something like this, I'd want Mom for sure, because having a Mother of Runes off of a vial to protect your Bob and Stoneforge seems like it's a huge game, and the synergy between all of the stuff in this deck, I just don't see it. Dude, I thought you were dicking with me. You're serious about Mother of Runes? I actually like that idea. I thought you were just like mocking the deck. No, I, well, one, I I think this deck is just absolutely insane. <laughs> but I think the direction that I would go if I wanted to play something like this would definitely be a Mom Thalia version with all of these other creatures. Like, you said it reminded you of Dead Guy. Make it Dead Guy instead of this monstrosity that is that it is right now. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. I do like that idea, though, that, that having uh, Mother of Ruins in your Thief of Sanity deck. That does seem cool to me. So, also, in the deck dump, I don't know, did you have a list that you wanted to highlight? Well, I mean, there, there were a few that I saw on coverage this week. Not really from the deck dump, but anything that had Yukiro. I saw, I saw a few matches on coverage where... There was a blue-black deck that was playing against Set that drew an extra 10 cards and still lost because they're playing bad cards. Was that Yukiro? Yeah, it was Yukiro. Were they playing Deep Hours? Was it like straight-up ninjas? or? It was it was black-blue ninjas, yeah. Okay. And um, I, I'm sure that there are people that are having success with that deck, but it just seemed very lackluster when I was watching it in coverage. It was doing its thing and drawing a bunch of cards and bouncing Strixes and Snapcasters and getting full value for everything, but the deck just had no way of dealing with a Stoneforge Mystic and a Batterskull, and it seemed like that's a really big thing to have a weakness to in a metagame like this, so I, I don't really want to talk about those decks, I guess. Any any version of Blue-White is where I'm at right now, so um, Jedi Goff was basically playing the blue-white Delver deck and swapped out two true names for two mentors. That was that was nice. And there was another one that was like playing no Delver and two Terramander. Yeah. I don't uh I don't know about that in the blue-white shell. So I thought it was interesting to highlight that though because of what we saw last week that that I believe you and Adam talked about which was uh somebody sideboarding the Delvers in the blue-white deck. Yes. And I feel like this is like perfectly splitting the difference between those two things. Having the Terramander, yeah, having that is too slow to pressure combo, and like too, too small to be effective in like the the mid range battles. Well, I don't think that it's too slow to pressure combo necessarily because 
what I like most about it is just that it's a one mana threat, right? And Niv Magus would probably be better at this, honestly, but I think it's interesting to explore because it's a one mana threat that you just sort of can put into play on turn two and not be shields down, right? And then you just sort of play your game against combo where you're using your spells really rapidly, right? Like, you know, having to defend yourself or cantripping. And then it just turns into a clock eventually, right? Like, it's it's not it's not anywhere near as good as a Delver, but I feel like it's also not uh, as awkward as playing two Delvers, right? Like, you can play two Terramanders, in my opinion. I don't think you can play two Delvers. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. I just, I think it was strange in the deck that I saw it in. It's definitely strange, and I don't, I'm definitely not saying it's correct. I just thought it was pretty interesting, and I, I can kind of see how this person got there. It was a uh, Shuffler Pond. We should shout them out. There you go. And uh, the other list was uh, Jedi Goff, you said, I think? Yep. That was, uh, somebody in our Discord has been asking us a lot about Monastery Mentor. Do you recall that? I think that was Yo. Yeah, I think it was Yo, actually. Just just talking about, you know, what do you think of playing Mentor in Blue-White? And in Blue-White Delver, specifically, I should say. And I'd actually had one in my sideboard when I was playing Blue-White, just to see how it was. But ultimately, I think, like, you... True name is just so good, right? Like you can't play less than four true names, and you can't necessarily play like five three drops, right? Yeah, well, I think that like true name obviously is just easier to protect, and mentor, you really want to play a deck that can do some things after you drop your mentor. Like you want to be able to get into a spot where you have access to four five or six lands to really make that shine and if you're playing a 19 land delver deck this is not going to happen yeah i can i could definitely see the problems with it obviously obviously untapping with it is big game but i i feel like the true name is is just more more consistent in what you want to do with your deck and the games that you win with mentor you probably would have won with true name and the games that your mentor just dies immediately would have been better as a true name. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that's, that's pretty much the unfortunate conclusion that I had for Yo when I was thinking about it. But it is kind of cool. Like, you know how true name becomes like a liability against combo? Like a lot of times you're, you're trying to shave a couple of them or, or board them out. Uh those are kind of the matchups where I wanted Mentor in my sideboard because it's like such a lightweight threat that can just end the game while you're just playing their game, right? Like you're playing against Yeah, combo. but you still you still have to make that three mana investment into it exactly, and then you're probably yeah. dead. Yeah. So like the the whole idea behind why you don't want to play true name is it's a three mana threat and all the combo decks are ready to kill you if you tap out on your turn three. So Again, Mentor would be fine for those later turns to where maybe you get to turn 12 and you have five land in play. You can play it with some, some soft counter backup, but I don't think you're really getting there against combo unless you have a clock that's quicker. Yeah, I, I really don't see it fitting exactly in this deck, but I do, I do suspect that there's another Mentor deck out there, and I just don't think people have found it yet. I mean, there might there might be some sort of just straight 
blue-white miracles type deck. Like, I think I was talking a few weeks ago about something that was like an aggro miracles. The, you might you might play Delver and Mentor and maybe like a small Stoneforge package and play all the cantrips and some extra card draw with things like Pierce and Fluster, Counter and Force in the main deck, and I'm not exactly sure how all the numbers work, but you might be able to play some sort of deck like that to maximize Mentor. I'm just not sure where the spot is in the meta. Yeah, that's like your, your buddy with the counterbalance in the sideboard, right? And I think that's what we were talking about that might have got us on, on that path, because I was definitely thinking about that too. And I don't know, Cabal Therapy is a great card, but I don't think you want to reach into black right now. So, Yeah, weakening weakening your mana base doesn't seem like it's a good spot to be. I, I know that you're like really high on Esper, and I just, I think... I think that I want to stick with two colors leading into Niagara because the the everything that's attacking people's mana bases is going to go away in that amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be high on Esper Delver, though. Like, I don't think that that's a playable thing. Like, I, I feel like uh, with, with regard to Esper, like, that that's entirely, and Bug for that matter, that's entirely like a, a control kind of deck. You know, that's not like a, I don't think you can play three color tempo right now like that. Okay. So let's see. We we talked. We we kind of dipped our toe and started in uh, Cincinnati. Did you want to talk about anything else with regard to that? No, not really. I mean, like the the team open. Obviously, you you see a lot of stuff that was similar to what we saw in Syracuse. Loam ended up winning it. DNT was the one thing that we didn't really see in Syracuse that sort of made its pushback. We saw a lot of Merit Lage throughout the tournament in um, in the team open. Not as much in the classic. The classic was kind of boring. I I didn't really see a ton that I wanted to talk about in either of those events, other than um, shouting out Min. If you all haven't seen it, Min is Jewel Hawk ended up top eighting with miracles, and he has a blog with um with Max Gilmore that he he does quite a bit of work with. It's really good. So congratulations on the top eight to him. Did he get any uh, camera matches? I don't believe so. I could be wrong. Oh, Maybe man. he did. I did not get to see him on coverage, but I saw a few pictures of him in the feature match area. Sweet. Yeah, it seems like Star City likes their uh, their player of the year grinders for, for like choosing coverage for matches, right? Right, but I mean, like they're, they're building their brand. That's yeah. how That's how it works. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I was just wondering because I was going to go back and uh, watch some of that coverage because uh, I just honestly forgot about it this past weekend. So I was wondering if there's any rounds I should watch specifically. When was Joe Lissette playing? Cephalid Breakfast. What? Yeah. Oh, uh, Pat I love that. <laughs> yeah, so this is like, the, he played in like round, he played the feature match in like round one or round two. Uh, but he was playing Breakfast and... They the announcers kept on calling it cephalids, and I was like, "This is triggering. This deck is not cephalids. It's cephalid breakfast. Please say it." And they never said it. Man, I can't believe that Star City didn't call it uh, Azorius Equipment Combo or some shit like that. <laughs> Azorius Shuko. <laughs> yeah, but just he he was playing that. I don't know how he did. But it definitely it definitely happened. That's fucking wild, man. 
I has he still been streaming? I haven't seen him in a long time. I have not seen him. Yeah, I wonder what would like lead you to think that Cephalid Breakfast was a good deck to play because I don't feel like you fly from California to Cincinnati for like a meme value, you know. So, the focus on Depths and Blue Red Delver slash Blue White Delver might leave a hole in what people are facing for graveyard hate. And that's one of the reasons why, again, like maybe I'm just too high on Black Red, but Black Red is poised to like push through. We see all these like fair mid range decks trying to fight like the mana battles against each other. Just Grizzlebrand people. Seems seems good. People are like screwing around with Spellbomb main deck. They're cutting their targeted sideboard hate. You see Leyline of the Void at like a minimum. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the right time. Yeah, that's a good point actually. That does kind of hit the spot where you actually want something like Surgical or Rest in Peace rather than Spellbomb is like Cephalid Breakfast, right? And I think that uh, it also might be benefiting a little bit from this sort of phenomenon where we've got blue-red and blue-white Ascendant, and neither of those decks really main deck like Disenchant sort of stuff. Like you used to see Abrupt Decay a lot uh, out of when there was more bug around, you know? And just having no way to deal with like artifacts like Aether Vial and Equipment. That could also be like one of the things that they're trying to exploit. So maybe uh, you know he had his reasons, I guess. Yeah, I've never played the deck. I the only story that I've ever heard is the story from Michael Flores when he was playing against an opponent, and Mike had the combo, and uh, he said to his opponent, "All right, I have a combo," and his opponent said, "Show me." So he flipped his deck over and showed him, and then his opponent said, all right, go to your draw step. Wait, I don't understand. So (laughs) Flores picked up his deck, turned it upside down to show him the combo. But was he like in the act of milling himself of his whole deck? Well, he viled, so he viled in the thing end step, Uh and then untapped and said, all right, like I have the combo, and his opponent said, show him. So he flipped his whole deck over, and then his opponent goes, all right, go to your draw step. So that was a win for the opponent, you're saying? Yeah. Interesting. Because he milled his whole deck in his upkeep. I gotcha. Now I understand. Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah. So if people want to uh, find you on Twitter to harass you, where should they do that? TSmileyMTG. You can follow the cast at DeadFormatCast. We've actually been picking up some Twitter steam, and if people people want to get in touch with you and tell you how awful that no brainstorm Esper deck is, where can they get in touch with you? Uh, at Michael Avenatti on Twitter. No. Oh, <laughs> oh that's rough. Too soon. Uh, at Ian one eight one two five on Twitter, and if you want to send us an email, we have a few emails actually. We've gotten some like nice quality emails from listeners uh deadformatcast at gmail.com would be the spot for that dude i have not got a reply from so many insane plays by the way yeah because you shit all over them i did not i know you didn't mean (sighs) to do that but listeners we had ian 
Ian sent an email to so many insane players because he he legitimately likes the podcast and he wanted to send a thank you email to them. But the way that his email was worded, can I read your email to them right now? Yeah, by all means, if you have it. I, I thought this was all a right. very flattering email. So this is the email that Ian sent to so many insane plays as a serious thank you email. And I'll start reading. Hey guys, just wanted to send a most sincere thank you. Your podcast cured my insomnia. Most magic podcasts I found were either too short, too choppy, or both. You guys have a good rhythm and a jovial, relaxing flow. Kevin's baritone (laughs) probably helps too. I put your cast on and I'm out within 10 minutes without fail. Anyway, that's all I have. Just felt I owed you both a very big thank you. Listen, I know that you think that that was a very nice email, but whoever read that was like, this motherfucker can only listen to 10 minutes of us before we fa- he falls asleep. Bro, but That's the only way of reading that email. I probably account for 40 listened hours a week because I put it on and I fall asleep and it just keeps going. And I wake up and it's like five episodes later, you know? I, I sincerely like their podcast. <laughs> like I, and I put the word sincere in here like three times so that they would know I was being serious because like I just put it on. I still haven't finished the Kaladesh set review because it's six hours long. And every night I like move forward a couple minutes because I remember listening to it the night before. But I'm still on like the second hour of it because I just fall asleep within you know five minutes every time. It's fucking amazing. It really has cured my insomnia. And I really wanted to say thank you to Steve Manandian and Kevin Crone. All right, fellas. I think I think that's gonna wrap it up. If anybody, if anybody knows Stephen and Kevin, uh, apologize to them <laughs> for for me. Uh, I don't want to be associated with this at all. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>